1: Lots of beautiful mysteries going on in the NFL these days. It's Shereen Williams and Mike Florio, PFTPM. This is the day that my sources tell me we are live on Sky Sports NFL in the UK and in Ireland. So folks, as you see us and hear us, we are actually talking. They can't bleep me. I can say things that may get me fired, but at least you will be entertained by that reality in the period of time between now and when they yank me off. Yeah, Shereen, how are you doing today?
2: I'm fantastic, Mike. It's a great Wednesday.
1: We're 11 days away from the Super Bowl, and we have gotten a glimpse of what the offseason could be like before free agency begins with no scouting combine. There could be some days where there isn't a lot going on and unfortunately the one big story that is filling the void is not a good story although it seems like the Seahawks have finally realized that there was no option for them but to sever ties with the individual who is at the heart of this story Chad Wheeler a backup offensive tackle for the Seahawks made news recently because he was arrested and he was actually jailed over the weekend on suspicion of domestic violence the details are over the top shocking i don't know how it's only suspicion of domestic violence it should be attempted murder i'm not going to get into the details but it's easy to find out more about the story and it felt like initially curtis crabtree or works our overnight shift wrote the first story that we had on it and then I saw his name trending on Twitter, and I started to look into it a little bit more. It's like, oh my God, this is horrible, and no one's writing about it. No one's talking about it, and I guess it's because he's not a star player, but it seemed to catch more and more attention as the day unfolded, Shireen, and the Seahawks wanted to, I think, just do nothing because he's due to become a restricted free agent. He is a restricted free agent. Excuse me. If you don't Tender an offer to him. He just becomes a free agent and he leaves and you're done with him and you never have to do anything. That seemed to be what they were going to do, and they initi they issued a statement initially to that effect, but they have since actually waived him. So they have washed their hands of him. The NFL has simply said they're reviewing the situation under the personal conduct policy. Wheeler himself has issued a statement saying that he's walking away from football and he's gonna get the help that he needs. Apparently there's a, a bipolar disorder at play here, but regardless Shocking, over-the-top incident of domestic violence, and hey, if, if, if they say the NFL is a privilege, not a right, then the first guys that have to be stripped of that privilege are guys that engage in this kind of behavior, period.
2: Yeah. Mike, I'm going to go out on a limb and say no one's going to pick this guy off of up off of waivers tomorrow, and that he is going to be a restricted free agent who is not going to be signed. I think his NFL career is over, as it should be. And frankly, I didn't know Chad Wheeler. I had to look him up, and then I when I saw I played for the Giants in 2018, 2017, and 2018, I was like, oh yeah, Chad Wheeler. He started a bunch of games for the Giants. At tackle, and, and it kind of clicks. But yeah, he's a no name guy. But when you do something like this, Mike, that's so horrific, it's just awful to, to read. Um, and, and just his career should be over.
1: Yeah. And the, the only thing that bothers me about that isn't the fact that his career is over, it's the reality that if he were a perennial pro bowler, if he were an all pro, if he'd been a first round pick this year. That's when people start getting second chances at the expense of someone else's first chance. I always try to point that out. When someone who's done something they shouldn't have done gets their second chance, somebody who's never done anything wrong ends up losing his chance because it's a zero-sum game when you talk about roster size. But that's the one thing that bothers you about sports of all kinds at every level. The better you are, the more likely you are to get A second chance. And for Chad Wheeler, it's a no-brainer. No second chance, you're gone. Uh, you're at the bottom of the roster, you're gone. We've got zero tolerance for guys at the bottom of the roster who do things they shouldn't do. And again, it's it's good that the Seahawks got to the right place. I'd like to see the NFL make a stronger statement about it. I think one of the other reasons that people were so quiet about it throughout the course of the day, because it's not a big name player. you you make it a bigger story by doing something about it. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I'm trying to understand why it just kind of percolated in plain sight. And it reached boil because of people who caught wind of it among the fan bases saying, what the hell's going on here? They've they've suspended guys like Ezekiel Elliott, who was never even arrested for anything. And he got suspended six games. So uh, there was a sense of a double standard at play and, and look, I just think that that the NFL and the Seahawks were hoping that it just would go by unnoticed and they wouldn't have to deal with it at all and just be done with the guy. Well, they're done with him. The NFL's done with him. And we're done with him. Hopefully, we won't have to mention his name ever again. Let's move on, though, to another issue as it relates to the Seattle Seahawks. Shane Waldron, the new offensive coordinator, had been the passing game coordinator for the LA Rams. And I'm not sure what that job really entails when Sean McVeigh runs the offense, I, your pa- I, I don't know, I don't know, and frankly, I don't know that you want to be known as the passing game coordinator for Jared Goff's passing game, because that's not exactly a feather in the cap, but it was enough to get Shane Waldron the job as the offensive coordinator of the Seattle Seahawks, Shereen, and the question remains, what is the offense going to look like in Seattle? Is it going to be run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, play action, pass, like DK Metcalf recently explained to Brandon Marshall, or are they going to be more creative? Are they going to look for ways to get the ball into DK Metcalf's hands, short of him running down the field, get him in motion, bubble screens, put him in the backfield? I I want to see creativity in this offense, and I think Russell Wilson would like to see that. I think the last thing Russell Wilson wants, Shireen, is to go back to the days of beast mode, and you run it, and you run it, and you run it, and then maybe you throw it.
2: Let Russ cook. That's what he wants, Mike. And he did have a say in this. His personal quarterback's coach uh, tweeted yesterday after the hiring and was very excited by the hiring. So I, I think this was Russell Wilson's, who he wanted to be his new offensive coordinator. Now Shane Walters never called plays and a lot of coordinators never call plays and are really good at it. That doesn't mean he's going to be bad at it. I'm just saying he's never done it before. So this is going to be a new experience for him calling the plays, and we'll see we'll see how it goes. But I would expect, Mike, that Russell Wilson's going to have a big say in this offense and what they do going forward.
1: We'll see, because I expect Pete Carroll to have a big say in the offense and what they do going forward. It's Pete's team, and it seems that he has been reasserting himself. But that pressure point that has continued to be there, how much are they going to embrace a diversified, high-octane offense? They did it last year until defenses caught up with it, and then Brian Schottenheimer, the former offensive coordinator, couldn't bust through that ceiling that was placed over what they were able to do. And we really saw the Seahawks tail off as the season unfolded. That's that that back and forth between Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. But at some point you have to you have to placate Russell Wilson to a certain extent, or he's 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 going to leave at some point. Seahawks fans freak out whenever I say that, but I'm telling you. If you don't let this guy show what he can do, he is going to want to go somewhere where he can. Now, the question is, this past year, had we just seen Russell Wilson hit the limits of his abilities, and is he the reason why the offense tailed off as the season unfolded? Of course, he would say, it's not me. Well, maybe we'll get that resolved one way or the other with Shane Waldron running the offense, but that's where the Seahawks are going, and the Rams, meanwhile, have lost plenty of pieces this offseason but they keep going forward under the leadership of sean mcveigh who has shown that he can reload as various pieces from the coaching staff move on the eagles have a new quarterback coach brian johnson the university of florida offensive coordinator will be the quarterback's coach and according to john clark of nbc sports philadelphia brian johnson has known jalen hurts since jalen was four years old and recruited jalen out of high school that actually comes by way of mike sealski one of the newspapers up in the philadelphia area so uh that's an interesting twist when frank uh reich's right-hand man nick sirianni gets hired to be the head coach with the idea that they're doing everything they can to cultivate and restore the relationship with carson wentz and bring him back to where he was a few years ago as an mvp candidate They have a guy who has deep, longstanding ties to Jalen Hurts, who's now the position coach. That's going to be a little awkward. That's going to be a little strange. That's going to take some explaining when it's time to, to begin the process of getting Carson Wentz to believe that he truly is the guy.
2: Yeah, Brian Johnson's 33, Mike, and he has called plays at Florida for the one year. He also did it at the University of Houston in Utah previously, so has a lot of experience calling plays at college. Now, this is his first NFL job, but he played for Jalen Hurts' dad at Baytown Lee High School down near Houston, uh, and that's how he got to know Jalen. So he has known Jalen since since Jalen was four years old. They have a long relationship, but it is interesting, Mike, that when – When Brian Johnson tried to recruit Jalen Hurts to Mississippi State, he didn't go there. He went to Alabama instead. Of course, smart decision on his part because he won a national championship there, which he wouldn't have done probably at Mississippi State.
1: Yeah, and uh, look, this issue of what's going on with the quarterback situation in Philadelphia, it's not going to be over anytime soon. And what the Eagles wanted to do was get some distance from the season and then figure out what they're doing going into 2021. Will it be an open competition? Will it be... Carson Wentz's job, will it be Jalen Hurts' job, and these are all things that they need to figure out. If it's not going to be Carson Wentz's job, then the question becomes, what do you do with Carson Wentz? And the most obvious landing spot continues to be Indianapolis, but they're going to have plenty of other options as this quarterback carousel is going to spin like never before. And speaking of that carousel that spins and will spin like it never has before, Matthew Stafford. The Lions reportedly have already talked to one third of the league about Matthew Stafford. Now, to me, this just feels like an effort to get more people to call. Like you better hurry up. We're, we've already talked to ten teams. We've and that when you think when it when you say one third of the league, it sounds. It sounds like a bigger deal. It's only 10 teams. I mean, shouldn't there be more than 10 teams calling the Lions about Matthew Stafford? This is glass two-thirds empty to me, not one-third full.
2: Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. When we start naming the franchise quarterbacks, I mean, what do you get to? Maybe 12? I would say it's fewer than half the teams in the league actually have a franchise quarterback. So absolutely, if I'm one of those teams who doesn't have a franchise quarterback, I'm at least making the call. What's it gonna take? What are you asking for Matthew Stafford and you know, it's it, it's worth a phone call at the least. And maybe he's not the guy you you want a, in the end, but it's worth a phone call to, to at least inquire about what it would take to get him if he's an upgrade for you. Now, some teams I would argue that he's not going to be an upgrade for, even those that we don't say have a franchise quarterback. I mean, we talked about this yesterday, Mike. This is a guy that's only made one Pro Bowl. We do have questions about whether it was actually the talent around him or how much of it was Matthew Stafford. Can he stay on the field? There's the injury history. There's a lot of questions with Matthew Stafford. So, if you're going to go out and get him and trade draft picks for him, you better make sure that he's an upgrade over what you have or what you can obtain.
1: And the more I think about this, the, the more skeptical I am about the motivation here. I think this is the Lions grabbing a megaphone and trying to get more people to call. I think they're stunned that it's only been 10 teams. And it could be that they're thinking there are other teams out there that were being deliberately coy, deliberately slow, deliberately aloof because they don't want to give up too much. And the reality is this market's going to be driven by how many teams come to the table serious about trying to acquire Matthew Stafford. You need at least two. You know, in a normal trade scenario, sometimes your best leverage is screw it, we just won't trade him. Once the guy wants out and once you've decided you're going to move on, you need two. Three's better, four's great, five, six, seven, eight, even even more than that. But And, and, and if they had 10 serious suitors right now, the, that's all we need. See, just because you get a call doesn't mean anything right? Somebody calls, hey, uh, what do you want for Matthew Stafford? Oh, you want that much? Click. So we don't know the substance of the calls. We don't know who initiated the calls. Maybe it's new GM Brad Holmes calling teams, and he just made it through the first 10 on the list. Maybe it's calls coming into them. This is is a, a chess match with multiple layers and levels, and the goal is to end up getting the most you can. And when one of the guys at the center of the chess match is talking about biting off kneecaps, I don't know how much subtlety is going to be involved in these (laughs) negotiations.
2: Well, and Mike, I don't know what the Lions think they are going to get from Matthew Stafford, but my guess is it's going to be less than what they think they're going to get for Matthew Stafford. I mean, I'm not giving up two first round draft picks for this guy. To me, it's going to have to be a fairly good deal. I might think about a first round draft pick, if it's lower in the first round and I'm not going to get one of those top quarterbacks. But I don't think I'm giving up a ton for for Matthew Stafford, Mike.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And again, it comes down to slowly and gradually and carefully cultivating a market where you pit one against the other. And the best thing to do, if you could find it, and I haven't really thought about this, but if you can find two teams in the same division, right, Colts-Texans. If the Texans yeah. move on from Deshaun Watson, if you can find two teams in the same division, that's the way to drive the price up. And, you know, I I, I think that, that that this is not going to be easy for the Lions, but there is a way to do it. If they play it smart, there is a way to do it to get more than maybe they should. Anthony Lynn, by the way, has been announced as the new offensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions, so he is joining the, the kneecap-biting brigade there with Dan Campbell and company. And, and also just coming across, this is the latest text as we exchange messages on our PFT writer text chain. Miles Simmons says the Packers are letting go of their special teams coordinator. We've been bracing for the defensive coordinator, Mike Pettin, to get the heave-ho. Maybe the first step is the special teams coordinator, and then it's going to be Mike Pettin. But uh, that's something to keep an eye on as the changes already have begun for the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers didn't know how right he was. There are no absolutes. The special teams coordinator out in Green Bay. Uh, Jason Witten out of the NFL again. He's going to sign a one-day contract with the Dallas Cowboys so he can officially retire as a member of the team. He spent, what, a year with the Cowboys after he unretired and then a year with the Raiders. I can't believe it's already been three seasons ago that he was on Monday Night Football. Yeah. I can't, it seems like it was... It was not all that long ago, but when you think about that Monday Night Football booth, it seems like it goes through a significant overhaul every year.
2: And I texted him a few minutes ago and said, I look forward to presenting you for the Hall of Fame in five years. I don't know if he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer or not. It'll be an interesting discussion. But, you know, he obviously has Hall of Fame numbers and had a Hall of Fame career. It was a lot of fun uh, getting to watch him play uh, through the course of, of his uh career and getting to know him a lot he's he's a great guy I think he's going to go into coaching this time I'm going to be surprised if he doesn't end up as a coach probably start out as assistant tight ends coach somewhere maybe a tight ends coach who knows I know that the Raiders were looking at one point I don't know if they filled that job or not but I would look for him Mike to go into coaching and obviously not the tv booth this time
1: if and when he gets to the hall of fame I have a very important question who decides whether the bust is bald or has the toupee on it
2: well, he would get to decide that. I think he gives them a picture, and then they do it based on the picture in a sit-down. But if he's bald and wants it with hair, you have to go off the picture, obviously.
1: Yeah. Uh, or, or you could you could put an actual toupee on top there of the go. bust for special occasions. Like Hall of Fame weekend, put the toupee on. The rest of the year, take the toupee off. I like it. Then you've got flexibility forever. Permanently, you have the opportunity to change up your look if you are the Jason Witten bronze bust, hanging out in the hall of bust, talking to each other, as John Madden says, when the lights go off at night. All right, the lights are going to go off here just for a couple of minutes. When we return, how about, I think we're going to talk about some updates as it relates to the two Super Bowl teams. News out of Kansas City and Tampa Bay as PFTPM continues right here, right after this.
2: Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash cash.
4: Did you hear the big news? I did not. What's the big news?
0: It's all over the facility, I'm guessing. What Scotty Miller, the Bucks wide receiver, had to say?
4: No, I did not hear it.
0: He said that he is the fastest player in the NFL, and he says he's faster than the cheetah Tyreek Hill.
4: Oh, man. That's a... Uh... Interesting take, man. You gotta have confidence in yourself, though. I'll give him
1: that. I thought that was great because I love Patrick Mahomes. He's got an innocence to him that he can't hide because Dan had him nervous. He was like, w- w- "Wait a minute! What's going on what here? What don't I know? What don't I know that I should know?" And yeah, I, hey, I've always said if you're going to play sports at a high level, especially professional level, you have to have confidence in yourself that borders on delusion, if not crosses over into full blown delusion. And hey, line up Scotty Miller and Tyreek Hill. I, I'd I'd pay, you know, five ninety nine yeah. for the pay per view.
2: Absolutely, Mike. And you know, you have to think that Cheetah is the fastest player in the NFL, right? But hey, Scotty Miller has shown his speed. We've seen that all year. He led the team in yards per catch. You wouldn't expect that from Scotty Miller. And that's what he did. 15.1 yards per catch this season. So he's fast, too. We know that. We've seen it on the field. And I think DBs, Kevin King speaking to you, underestimate his speed as well.
1: Yeah, the one race that we already know the result of is Kevin King versus Scotty Miller, and Scotty yeah. Miller's just got this way of catching the ball, and it really is amazing. I mean, the more I see the highlights, it's kind of like yeah. this fetal position, cradle, cradle pill, like a pill bug swallowing up a, a speck of dust, and and he just and and he, it's the same motion. Uh, you never see him catch with his arms. You never see him dive you see, it's this fall to the ground ball comes in and he swallows it up and it's it's usually a long game and that's something that the Chiefs are going to have to be ready for on Super Bowl Sunday and don't underestimate the speed of Scotty Miller regardless of whether or not he would beat Tyreek Hill in a race. Mike Evans had a big game on Sunday when they got to the second half though a couple of throws intended for Mike Evans ended up being intercepted Bruce Arians last night on the Buccaneers Radio Network cautioning against forcing the ball to Mike Evans. And, Shereen, I was confused by that because he mentioned the two interceptions. But on the two interceptions, it wasn't forcing it to Mike Evans when he wasn't open. The first one, he was open. It was just a bad throw. And I need to make sure no lightning bolts are going to come down if I say this from Tom Brady. It was a bad throw. It was too high. It went off of Mike Evans' hands and it was intercepted. And the second one was Darnell Savage coming in on a safety blitz and Tom Brady doing the I'm getting rid of the football to avoid the hit so my 43 year old legs don't get broken by this guy. And it just hung up in the air long enough for Jair Alexander to make a play on the ball. It was in the general direction of Mike Evans, but it wasn't forced to him. So I I get what Bruce Arians is saying in theory. But the two interceptions are bad examples of the idea that the ball was forced to Mike Evans.
2: Yeah, and the funny thing is, Mike, you remember back in the regular season, he was saying, Bruce Arians was saying, we need to get the ball to Mike Evans more. And now he's saying, well, we don't need to force it to Mike <laughs> Evans. So I'm not sure I'm not sure which it really is. But I would want to get the ball to Mike Evans myself. And I, I like his chances to go up and make the catch. And I'm sure he would say on the first interception that he should have caught the ball. Now, it, it was high, but it did hit him in the hands. Uh, And I'm sure he thinks 99 out of 100 times. Don't,
1: don't, 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 don't give in to the, to the Troy Aikman temptation to defend the quarterback. No, it was a high throw. If it was lower, (laughs) it would have been an easy catch.
2: And maybe a touchdown.
1: Yeah, well, and at a minimum, a field goal, because they were in field goal range when that one happened. And I still am astounded by the fact that the Packers failed to turn either of those last two interceptions into points. And, you know, speaking of Tom Brady, he's already done more than we've ever seen any quarterback do. And he's 43 and almost a half now and still going strong. He had said for years when asked how long he was going to play, 10 more years, 10 more years. I think he had 10 years of saying, 10 more years then it settled in on 45 and for a while I thought that was just a distraction that he wanted to put his ending date so far out to the future that when he walked away no one would see it coming because I don't think and I know this from talking to people who know him he would thrive or want a Derek Jeter style farewell tour he doesn't want that I think he wants to be done and that's it and he's gone and now that 45 is just two seasons away and you look at how he's playing, c- could he play to 46, 47, 48? Could he make it to 50 for crying out loud?
2: I, I'm i not betting against him, Mike. I mean, I think what we've seen this year from him, getting the Buccaneers to the Super Bowl is beyond amazing. He's done so many great things. I, I think everyone will agree. 49ers fans, come on. You have to agree with this too. He... Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback in the history of the game, perhaps the greatest player in the history of game with with, with what he'd done. And you can point to so many great things that he's done, all the Super Bowls, everything else. But, Mike, this to me at his age to walk into a team first time line and, and carry them to the Super Bowl and I, I realized like he didn't make all pro he didn't make the Pro Bowl probably should have made the Pro Bowl over Kyler Murray frankly but he didn't do that but he still his leadership and everything else he brought to the Bucks. I don't know that any other quarterback could have led this Buccaneers team to the Super Bowl you'd like to think maybe there would have been another quarterback or two or ten that, that could but but I don't know that. I know Tom Brady did it, and I'm astonished that he was able to do it at his age in his first year with this team. And, oh, by the way, there was no offseason.
1: Yeah, right team, right place, right time, and also the right amount of time to let it all get to the point where after the bye, a late bye that turned out to be very good for the Buccaneers, win after win after win after win, from 7-5 and before the bye to 7-0 and afterward, trying to go 8-0 against the team that beat them, just before their bye week. Let's take a break. We've got the football pod in America coming up. Mike Tirico, Tony Dungy, and me. That's coming up later. Before that, Shereen and I will open up the mailbag and answer the best questions that are in there today. We'll be right back. All right, some questions from the mailbag. Let's get to as many as we can. John Pascal has a great question. If the head coaching hire doesn't matter for Deshaun Watson, and it was... Chris Mortensen reported over the weekend Watson wants out regardless of who they hire to be the coach. What is Watson waiting for in terms of asking for a trade? Let me take a crack at this one, Shereen. I think that Watson knows the moment he says, trade me, it's over, it's done. And if they say no, he has to move to the next square on the flow chart, which would be never show up again potentially pay back a bunch of money, potentially hold out into the regular season, potentially say goodbye to Shireen. We'll try to get her back as we, as we work through this. But I think that that's why he's waiting. He doesn't want to make an idle threat. He doesn't want to make an empty request. When he says, trade me, he wants that message to have true potency. He wants the Texans to know it's over, it's done, and there is no going back. Which implies that at least for now, there may be a way to get him to turn around. There could be an opportunity to get Deshaun Watson to change his mind. But I think this is more him coming to terms with what happens next after he asks to be traded. All right. Shereen would have said the same thing. At Oscar 904, is Jacksonville really as bad as Randy Moss makes it seem? I assume he means Randy Moss, the former receiver, not Randy Moss, the NFL Network employee who does some work for NBC as well. Either way... I don't know what Randy Moss says about Jacksonville. Does he say bad things about Jacksonville? Does he say bad things about the Jaguars? Look, this is a team that has shown in the past that it can be competitive. They've lost their way in recent years. They were on the brink of the Super Bowl just three years ago. They had the Patriots down and out in the fourth quarter. A bad call is what saved the Patriots in that game, not anything the Jaguars did. So you've got Urban Meyer, jury's out on whether or not he's going to be a great NFL head coach. You've got Trevor Lawrence, who's undoubtedly going to be the first overall pick in the draft so we we see what happens but I I wouldn't rule out the Jaguars as a team that can get competitive very quickly and uh, Shereen you're still there any thoughts on Jacksonville
2: I spent a lot of time there I lived in Daytona for a couple years I you know it's yeah it's not the best part of Florida but you you have (laughs) to want to go there with what they have
1: and and look the Jaguars I think have the potential to become a competitive team, and those fans deserve it, along with the fans in the U.K. that get to see the Jaguars once or twice a year. Football Pod in America right after this.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble.
3: Cheers to
0: a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Or your grandma here with us, making carne asada. She does love a cold Corona. Throw in some dancing. We can watch the game. I'll drink to that. So a backyard concert with football, food, dancing, and Corona? And your grandma. Or we could keep it simple. Simple is good. Want a Corona? Thanks salute to the perfect day corona
3: la vida mas fina get your corona at ordercorona.com relax responsibly corona extra beer imported by crown import chicago illinois
4: all right guys we're all set to talk the pro Bowl, right okay maybe there's other stuff to talk about here here this week um, You know, Before we talk about the teams that are still left that are playing for the Super Bowl in Kansas City and Tampa, why don't we talk for a second, guys, about the teams that got knocked out. Uh, Let's start with Green Bay. Mike, do you make anything of the the Aaron Rodgers? We're not sure. Was that heat of the moment? What do you think that was?
1: Well, I think now that I've had a couple of days to think about it, talk about it, hear his follow-up, I can boil it down to this. I think that after what happened last year with the drafting of quarterback Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers wants clarity as to where he stands. Is Jordan Love destined to be the next Jimmy Garoppolo, who gets traded eventually to another team while the older quarterback keeps going strong? Or is Jordan Love the next Aaron Rodgers, who eventually takes over for the older quarterback when they go to him and say, thanks for the memories, but we're ready to move on. And with Favre, the strategy was ask him whether he was all in for the next season at a time when they knew he would retire, so it worked easily. When they wanted to move to Rodgers, but Rodgers wants to know where he fits. And to get the clarity, I think he'd like a commitment. To get the commitment, you get a new contract that makes it impossible to treat him like a year to year player, which is, I think, how the Packers currently view him. He wants something more clear mm. than that. I think that's where it all stands.
5: Well, Mike's got a lot more. Uh... Inside information than I do, but I read it as kind of taking a shot and getting prepared for the draft, uh, a preemptive shot. Hey, last year we were in the same position. We lost in the championship game. I thought we were ready to roll. We just needed a couple of more pieces to the puzzle. And you got me a, a backup quarterback. I think we're in the same boat, but I don't want to go through that again. So let's make sure we're all on the same page. What do we need to to go forward? Uh, Let's have some certainty and clarity in that. I think he wants to be there, expects to be there. He wants them to draft him some weapons.
4: Yeah, maybe more messaging than movement. What about Buffalo, Tony? How close are they when you take a step back?
5: You know, it's uh, it's funny. I talked to Leslie Frazier uh, after the game, and I just shook my head and said, wow, that, you know, <laughs> I've been there before where you kind of get... Right in that last game and you get steamrolled but you are very close and they played some great football down the stretch they lost two games to the chiefs so you know you've got to close that gap but that's a good football team and and they're going to be back and believe me that this year with josh allen and just the confidence that that team now has in their quarterback uh that's going to go a long ways in 2021.
1: my caveat to that though is and i heard cbs on the way off the air praising the bills and saying they'll be right back here next year i i'd look around a little bit before coming to that conclusion the dolphins are improving the patriots are still the patriots the jets with robert sala could start getting better and other teams in the conference could be improved look last year we thought the 49ers would just punch the ticket again and be at the top of the nfc so a lot of things can conspire to turn a special season into a not special season for the Bills. And that's why it hurts so bad when you get that close, when you're on the porch and the doors open and you don't get a chance to walk through it. That's what makes it difficult because here's where I agree with Aaron Rodgers: There are no absolutes. There are no guarantees when it comes to your ability to get back to the level that you got to this year.
4: Yeah. That's one of those you leave and you say, Oh, they'll be back because they feel like they're really close, but there's a lot that goes with it. There are other good teams that they need a pass rusher. They need somebody who can impact the game off the edge. Speaking of which, as we get to Kansas City, Tampa Bay, Tony, I want to go right to you, not on what they did, but where they're going. The tackle play is going to be really big in this game. One of the things I think was talked about enough, Green Bay missed David Bakhtiari, an all-pro left tackle, a lot in the game against Tampa. And now here's Kansas City without both of their regular tackles. How big a problem is that?
5: That's going to be a huge problem, Mike. You and I were up in Green Bay, and we were marveling at their offensive line play and how good they were and how solid it was. And at that time, David Bakhtiari had not given up a sack all year. And, boy, we're rock solid. He goes down with an injury. And now you put a new left tackle in who's not quite as good, a couple of pressures. JPP gets a couple of pressures. Now we've got to adjust. We've been letting that left tackle block by himself all year, slide into the right. Well, now we've got to help the left tackle. Well, now all of a sudden the right tackle has some problems with Shaq Barrett. And that's the way it can steamroll. And if, if I know Andy Reid is concerned about that. They had an injury to Mitchell Swartz, right tackle, who was outstanding. I played all year without him and and done a great job of uh, adjusting. Not all year, but most of the year. Now, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, Eric Fisher gets hurt. Now we've got to move Mike Remmers, who was that fill-in right tackle, we've got to move him to the left side. Andrew Wiley, our right guard, has to move out to right tackle. Stefan Wisniewski comes in. So we're actually not as good at three spots now because of one injury and you're playing against a defensive line that has playmakers, that's going to be an issue. And how well can they hold up and block for Patrick Mahomes in this game?
1: You know, even if they struggle, one of the realities is you still have to get to Mahomes. And we had Robert (laughs) Sala on PFT Live today and I asked him, what advice would you give to the Buccaneers defensive linemen? Because he coached the guys last year who we thought were all good enough, big enough, fast enough to give Mahomes fits. And Salah said, you've got to be relentless because he'll take those last couple steps backward and then throw the ball and he'll do the old man jog between plays so you think maybe he's not as yeah. as fast and elusive as he really is. And then once he has the ball in his hands, you can't go get him. And And that's going to be the challenge. Even with issues in the blocking, Mahomes is so slippery it's so hard to get a beat on him that's going to be the challenge for JPP Shaq Barrett and Dominican Sue anyone else that they managed to get through that front wall
4: Tony I thought Tampa's defense was okay when we saw them against Washington in the wild card round but the addition of Devin White and the value of that top 10 player and his speed was so evident in the two following playoff games they do things with those linebackers that they have some of the speed there. The question is, can the back end hold up against all the Kansas city myriad of options on offense?
5: No, it was funny because when we did that Washington game, everybody, all the coaches, all the players told us, yeah, Devin's not going to be there. We know that, but we're going to be okay. This guy's going to fill in and we'll do this. And, he does make a huge difference. When you oh. saw him in the lineup and making those plays and running sideline to sideline and calling the defenses, uh, he is special. But against Kansas City, it's how do you match up in that back end? Who can cover uh, those receivers? Who can cover Tyreek Hill? When the ball's going to come out fast, but you know it's coming to him. Who can cover Travis Kelsey? So you can have all of that together in the front seven. You can get pressure on Mahomes. You can stuff the running game. But it's going to come down to how does our back end survive? And in that first game, they really didn't.
1: You know, the thing that Devin White impresses me the most with is just his his overall intensity. He's chippy, but he's not too chippy. He's in your face, but he's not too in your face. And... And he finds a way to lift the whole defense. We saw it kick in the second half of the game against the Saints. We saw it all game long against the Packers. And I think that 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 defense is going to go as far as he can take it, as much as he can lift it. He's got to be that X factor, you know, delivering something that sets the tone early and gets the Chiefs a little wobbly. I think it falls to him. And if he can pull it off, then this game ends up being a lot closer than, than it otherwise would be when you consider how good the Kansas City offense is.
4: Yeah, Mike, he does bring an attitude to that defense that is a little different. Uh, let, let me just unpack Kansas City for a second. Mike, I'll start with you with Eric Bieniemy. Uh You know, we talk about coaches and not getting opportunities and all this stuff, and Eric Bieniemy, we all know what he does for Andy Reid. We all know that he handles all the red zone install and play design down there in the red zone. And Who's been better in the red zone the last couple of years than the Chiefs, and yet— it looks like we might get to the end of another hiring cycle with Eric Bieniemy not getting an opportunity. What, what is being heard? What's being said regarding this issue as we look at the coaching openings in a bigger picture now?
1: Well, I think most people look at it, and you look at the various openings, you look at the people who have been hired, you look at the names of guys that have gotten interviews like Josh McCown, and I love Josh McCown, but he's got no business being interviewed for a head coaching job with the Texans or anyone else at the NFL level. And I think people are just kind of resigned. It's kind of like okay, well, all right, I guess next year the the window's going to open for Eric Biennemi. I don't know what more he needs to do, though, to convince someone that he's the right guy to pair up with a quarterback, ideally a young quarterback, and mold him into a guy who will perform like Patrick Mahomes. Now, it may not be the same skill set, but you get the most out of what the guy does. You design plays that are aimed to draw out his strengths and conceal whatever weaknesses he may have. And I, ju- I just... Don't get it, and part of me feels like. And coach, you may know this better than anyone. I just feel like these owners don't like being told what to do, and I just feel like at some level, the more that the rest of us say Eric Bieniemy needs to be hired, the more they their attitude is, "We'll do what we damn well please."
5: (laughs) Well, I don't think it's that necessarily, but everybody is looking for something. Everybody has something they're looking for, and I went through that interview process. And the, the thing that I learned from it is you might not be exactly what they're looking for, even though you're a good candidate. And that happened to me a couple of times. Uh, I, I'll give you, a, a, for instance, Jacksonville Jaguars, when they were starting their franchise up, Wayne Weaver interviewed me and it was great and it went well. And we came down to the end and he said, I'm really looking for one person to run everything. I'm looking for that that person who's going to do it all, be the coach and the GM. And I said, well, that's not me. I'm a coach. I don't want to be a GM. I don't, that's, that's just not me. They hired Tom Coughlin and it was a great decision for them. Tom was exactly what Wayne Weaver was looking for. The problem Mm -hmm. then comes is when people go and say, why didn't you hire Tony Dungy? And instead of saying, well, you know, he wasn't exactly what we're looking for. I didn't think he was qualified to do this, this, and this. Then they say, well, you know, we we don't know. And then it becomes, well, he was not a good interview. And I heard that after, you know, a a couple of mine, after that Jacksonville, said, well, maybe he doesn't interview well. Uh, And and that's not it at all. Sometimes it just hurts. It's hard for that person to say, you know what? We interviewed Eric bien We liked him, but we liked something in this other guy's skill set a little more. Um, and, And I think that's where Eric is right now. As a matter of fact, I had a long conversation with Rich McKay, who did a search Mm -hmm. for Atlanta and interviewed Eric Biennemi. And he said he heard that, that Eric didn't interview well. He called a couple of reporters and and journalists and said, let me set the record straight. Eric Bienname was phenomenal in the interview. I I don't want to hear that. But it just wasn't what we were looking for. We liked Arthur Smith and we hired him. But don't trash Eric Biennemi because we didn't hire him.
4: Tony, does that help right there? I'm sorry, Mike, where uh, Rich McKay will get word out to other people that this narrative is not true. It wasn't a fit, but and that helps quell that conversation that keeps building, quote, he doesn't interview
5: well? It, it absolutely does. Um, I, and and uh-huh. those interviews help. And I know people don't like the Rooney rule, and they, they really think it's a, a problem when guys interview and don't get jobs. But it does help i remember years back leslie frazier uh, who's kind of in the cycle now he interviewed with bill parcells bill parcells was in miami making the decisions and he and parcells had a difference of philosophy you know we played small guys and fast guys and built our defense on speed and parcells was big guys three four dominant up front just big physical he said i don't know that i could play your style but he called a few people and said hey leslie frazier is really uh, he's fantastic and you, you need to talk to him He's got some it, it was, didn't fit with us but he's got some good things and I, I liked him and that helped Leslie down the road as people said well gosh if Bill Parcells could recommend him um, even though they didn't hire him maybe he's somebody I need to talk to and so yes when the Rich McKays and the Bill Parcells get that out there to the people in the know it does make a difference
1: here's what I'm struggling with first of all How is Eric Biennemi not what one of these teams is looking for when you consider the pipeline that's been established of Andy Reid assistance in Kansas City? Mm -hmm. Doug Peterson was what the Eagles were looking for. Same guy, same demographic, same everything. Not calling the plays, involved in the play design, doing the same things that Eric Biennemi's doing. And he got a Super Bowl win for the Eagles. Matt Nagy ended up being what the bears were looking for and you look at the eagles now with nick sirianni how is sirianni who they're looking for but not the enemy and you look at the lions with dan camel and biting off guys kneecaps how is that what the lions are looking for and not eric b enemy that's just what confuses me how is this guy like whatever you think you want how is this guy not someone that makes you say forget about what we want this is what we need
5: well mike um I look at it that way, and I kind of chuckled. I was going to write my headline. It's not Eric Biennemi's fault. It's Andy Reid's fault. Andy Reid has lost his touch because from 2001, everybody he's hired and put in that position, we've said, gosh, this is a great guy. Andy Reid knows how to pick offensive coordinators. Doug Peterson, uh, Matt Nagy. All these guys, and and even before that in Philadelphia, same thing. Brad Childress, you can go back. Everybody that Andy Reid has picked and put in that position has been fantastic. But now he doesn't know what he's doing. He picked a guy that's not very good now, Eric bien (laughs) (laughs) A
4: a victim of their success and being in these two cycles going all the way to the Super Bowl. You know, Mike, you mentioned that point there, like the Dan Campbell hire, right? That screams to what Tony was saying of Chris Spielman was brought in as a football guy to run the search. You tell me that Dan Campbell's not a Chris Spielman type guy. So to Tony's point, may have been good, but we were looking for a certain type. You can kind of see those connections there. Not that the enemy didn't bring that, but when I was listening to the, the kneecap press conference, like you talked about with Dan Campbell, that, that connected, like, okay, this guy and Chris Spielman had to connect perfectly in the conversation. Let me, let me end here with this topic and we'll keep the Detroit and Houston thing going for a second. Matthew Stafford It comes out this weekend that the Lions are ready to move on and Stafford's ready to move on, et cetera, et cetera. And you've got this entire quarterback bachelorette type setup here that's going to kind of run through rose <laughs> ceremonies throughout the entire uh, winter and spring. So, Mike, let me start with this. If you took Matthew Stafford and put him in Houston, what would it take for the Lions to trade with, with uh, Houston for Deshaun Watson? Oh, they're one this year plus what else? to make that happen.
1: Well, I think before we get to that point, Mike, we assume that Deshaun Watson would want to go to Detroit. And, you know, you've got to want to be at the place where you're being traded or that team's going to say, well, we're just inheriting someone else's right. problem. We're getting a guy that doesn't want to be here. So assuming that Watson would want to go there, then it becomes who else is at the table, other teams he'd be interested in. And and I think if the Texans ever decide to go through with this, you have Deshaun Watson list all the teams he'd play for, and then you basically hold up his contract and you hold an auction until somebody – Gives you exactly what you're looking for, the most you can get. That's all, that's what you do. So th- for the Lions, it would have to be assuming that he wants to play for the Jets, which he reportedly does, or he'd play for the Dolphins, which he reportedly does. Which of those teams, plus any others he'd play for, will come in with that first rounder plus? And and if that now look, if the Texans want Matthew Stafford, that gives them an edge because then you get a player out of it that's a known commodity. That you would like to have, you know, that was the thing that came up about the Dolphins and Tua. Maybe the do- maybe the Texans don't want Tua, so if you're going to trade right. Tua for Deshaun, it's not going to work. Maybe you need to do a three-team deal. So I, it's it's it all depends on where Deshaun Watson wants to go and how many other teams are in that mix and how much they bid that price up until the Texans
4: pull the trigger. I'm Tony, there are
1: so
4: many teams. Go ahead. You, you go ahead, Tony. I'm
5: sorry. I'm going to throw out one with Deshaun that may be a head scratcher. You know, I'm sitting there saying where could he go and who could he impact. But imagine Deshaun Watson in the Rams offense and with that defense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it could ever be pulled off, but I think he'd be perfect for what they've got going in the play action rollout game. And, and with that defense, just the thought. <laughs> it's a
4: thought. And, and a good one, too. Tony, if you're Houston, you're Detroit, you have quarterbacks who are being talked about being moved. Who knows who the head coach is going to be in Houston? Maybe Deshaun wants to stay, et cetera, et cetera, right? Would you, as a coach, push management to make sure that that guy gets traded to the other conference, that he's out of your conference and you rarely have to see him?
5: Ideally, that's what you would like. But what what would happen, and, and in Matthew's case, it's gonna be a coach who hasn't had a history with him. If I've been with him, then I wanna see him go and succeed. I wanna see him have a chance because I've built that, that uh, rapport with hmm. him. But yes, if I'm just coming in as, as Dan Campbell, I wanna get him as far away from, from me as I can so he doesn't come back and play us.
1: And I agree with that. I agree with that completely because I don't know what kind of animosity may be lingering between the Lions and Stafford and how much extra motivation he would have if he were competing directly with the Lions. And that just ultimately makes you look bad for trading him if he ends up being a thorn in your side going forward as you try to qualify for playoff berths. Now with, with three wildcard berths, you're competing with teams in other divisions almost as much as you're competing with teams in your own division. So I would want to get him out of the conference.
4: Mike, what's the biggest off-season move that will help set the dominoes for everything else?
1: Well, I think knowing whether or not The Texans are going to entertain trade offers for Deshaun Watson will be the first one because I think that's the guy who's going to generate the longest list of suitors and who would be traded right at the outset of the league year. Let's get this one figured out and then all the other quarterbacks will fall into place after that. So he's not yet asked to be traded because he knows that once he says those words, you can't go back. But it looks like he's moving in that direction. And I think the next piece of the puzzle is what they do with the head coach. And then they'll either get a trade demand or they won't.
4: So, Tony, unless you have Mahomes or Josh Allen or a really great established quarterback, does everyone else have the conversation? I'm talking like 15, 20 teams. Do they all have the conversation, head coach, GM, team president, owner? Hey, do we want in on this? Do we make an effort? I I think we have
5: to. Yes, I think you have to have that conversation if you have a feeling that he's on the market. Hey, here's a guy who we know can, this is not speculation, we believe Trevor Lawrence can do it and, and maybe he's going to be like Justin Herbert, but we've seen this guy come in and play at a, a high, high level. He's 25 years old. Yes, we've got to at least investigate what would it take for us to get him. Mike Florio, and one of to what remember, off-season one week. thing to remember. Good
1: the salary cap is going down from last year. Teams don't do their contracts with the idea that the salary cap is going down. They do it with the idea the salary cap's going up. So for any of these quarterback musical chairs, cap charge of absorbing a guy and the cap charge of moving the guy you have is going to combine, and it may make it too much like for a team like the Rams. It may be a combination that makes it impossible.
4: Mike, wouldn't this be a great year to have the combine in Indy? Can you imagine – all oh, the <laughs> chit chat going around Indy the week of the combine. Oh my Asia god!
5: moving back and forth. Yes,
4: oh, I'm hearing this. I heard. Hey, I was out last night. And you all know what I, know what I heard, and that becomes a Florio story, and it goes on for days. So, all right, enjoy enjoy the Pro Bowl this week, guys. I know uh, we all have that marked. Uh, we'll uh, wait. We will wait, wait. <laughs> uh, before Super Bowl Fifty Five. Have a great week, guys.
0: Cheers to a great day and this ice cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Throw in some music. We can watch the game. Or we could keep it simple. Corona, la vida mas fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona Extra Beer imported
3: by Corona Import, Chicago, Illinois.